today that we might be able to worship the Lord together. And we're grateful for the fact that we have our children here. And so I want to let any of the children that need to go into the rooms, it's right down here. You can see Becky and Rachel. And we'd encourage you to go ahead and go with them if you need to. Um, but anyways, we are glad that you're here. A couple of things I want to bring to your attention. Um, we'll let a couple of the kid children go here. A couple of things that are going on is, uh, maybe you're aware of that, but this Sunday is considered to be, they use it as a day, a day for prayer for those that are persecuted, for Christian believers. And um, I know some churches do a major event of it. We're not, but it is important for us to be able to remember that how significant it is that we have brothers and sisters around the world that are struggling. And so we just want to pray that God would do that. And Dara, I know I haven't asked you to do this, but would you mind if you just stand up and you have a good loud voice, would you pray for those around the world that are struggling today? Father, we join with our brothers and sisters around the world in this day designated for the persecuted church. Uh, we think of uh, uh, brothers and sisters in uh, Syria. Uh, mm-hmm. want to give you an update as well. I know many of you have been praying for Tom and Sandra Stimson. Tom is struggling. I got to be with him a couple of days ago at the hospital and um, he was uh, eating some food and uh, could talk some. We talked some together and encouraged him in his faith. As he's, uh, sounds like he's getting closer to the end. Um, but a couple of things I just asked you really just encourage for Sandra. She is just becoming exhausted even though she has some help in there. Um, I know it's taking a toll on her. And so please be praying for them. Also, um, they have now started hospice with Tom, and they just really would ask that you would be praying for them and caring for them. And they really don't want a lot of people coming. He gets uh, kind of agitated uh, when things are going on. And so if you would just keep praying for them, she just said, that's really the best thing you could do for us right now is just prayer. And so we don't know how many days, weeks he has left. But he's a good man who served the Lord for such a long time and had an impact in the lives of many. So I'd really encourage you to keep praying for him. So let's pray as we come to God's word. Our Father, we thank you that we can pray to you today, knowing we're not talking to the ceiling, but we're talking to our creator God. And so we thank you for that, that we can come today to hear your good word, to join together as brothers and sisters in Christ, that we can bring our our requests and our struggles and our things to you 
and to know that you are a good and gracious God and we can fully entrust ourselves to you. We ask that you'd be with us now. Encourage us and strengthen us as we come to this passage, an critical passage, and we ask that you would use it for good. We ask now that you be with us, Lord Jesus. We ask this in your name and to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you've been with us in the series that we've been doing, we're doing a series that's dealing with 1 Samuel, the book that a lot of people don't spend a lot of time in, but it is a very significant book. And what we've been doing in recent weeks is we've been looking through this section to see how God has been working. And if you were with us last week or the week before, what you'll see is remember we had a couple things to help you remember what we had last week. Last week, remember, we had this passage that was very difficult. We talked about it because it said God told them to wipe out the Amalekites. And of course, that's a huge issue. And of course, even today, it's even more strange for people. How could a God and loving God treat people like that? And we talked about some of the reasons why God would allow that to happen. And if you notice, when we talked about this, that we talked about destruction of the Amalekites, the other thing was Saul's failure to obey. And you may remember the story where he told him, nothing, we're not here, we're not like pirates or thieves, we're just going to take them all out, and you're not to take anything. But of course, you remember what happened is he's walking along and he said, huh, what's the sound of sheep that I'm hearing? And they got, they're supposed to be all gone. He goes, well, you know, the other, you know, the other people did it and they did it for you. And the point was, God calls his people to obedience. Not partial obedience, but full obedience. And he wouldn't do it. And so Samuel's rebuke from him was, you know what? I'm telling you, the fact that you have now been made king and you refuse to obey the Lord, it's going to be taken away from you. And if you remember what happened, he grabbed the robe that he had and he tore it. And it said, well, in fact, we can read that passage right here as it comes up. Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingship of Israel away from you today, and he's given it to your neighbor who's better than you. In other words, your time is coming to an end. And it's interesting because in this passage that we have that we come up here this week in 1 Samuel 16, is you'll notice that here it said, the Lord said to Samuel, how long are you going to mourn for Saul? Since I've rejected him as king over Israel, fill your horn with oil and go. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem because I've selected a king for his sons. So what we're seeing here is the beginning of a big change. It's been at this point, it's been the big change has been what's going on is here is you have this whole thing where now we're going for um, Saul, no longer going to be king, but he's still acting as king. And so if you notice it, it said, fill your horn and oil and go, and I'm sending you to Jesse. It's interesting, by the way, that name Jesse there is never found anywhere else in the Old Testament. It seems kind of unique. And it's interesting as well, too, is his family thing. If you look at his family, the line of Jesse, he had a son named Obed. Obed had a son named Boaz. And Boaz had a what? A, what kind of wife named Ruth? A Moabite. In other words, she wasn't an Israelite. And yet that was a beautiful marriage between them. By the way, it gives us an idea that though the, lane, the line of David, which is going to be the primary thing we're going to be following down, still God has things for people outside of what we think of Israel. Giving us an idea, again, that God's mercy, particularly with the coming of Christ, is going to spread to all people, not just to the Israelites. So that is an important thing that's happening right now. So notice for you what he talked about. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. Now notice this, by the way. The Lord said to Samuel, how long are you going to mourn for Saul? 
Well, that's an interesting phrase. And I find it very interesting that here's a guy that there's, uh, maybe there's multiple things going on in his heart, but there's a sense of, Lord, why? We went through all of this to finally get a king. We've got a guy who's tall. He's taller than anybody else. He's a good warrior. He's really helped us. Things are going doing really well. And now you're telling us that this king named Saul is not going to be the one. And so he's mourning for it. And it raises an interesting issue. What about us when we have times when we see brokenness, when we see hurt, when we see failure? Do we really mourn for things? Several years back, we were driving in Colorado. And we were driving along, and we came across this beautiful mega church. It was very, very nice. And it was huge and that kind of stuff. And the pastor was well known. In fact, he was the head of the Association for Evangelicals. Very, very talented guy. And I remember what was going on. It was like maybe a year or two later, we were reading about it. And suddenly, we heard about that this guy had had a moral fall. And it was like on every newspaper in America. Now, I'm ashamed to say this, but for a moment, I had this thought of good, good for him. I'm glad he's getting his, what he deserves. What an ungodly thing to think. But it, and I'm sure it's pure envy. You know, here's this guy with this huge mega church, and he makes all this money, and he gets all this thing. And I thought, you know, what a tragedy. Here I am, foolishly, stupidly, ignorantly, saying good for him. When you realize this is a tragedy. Is anybody mourning for him? For his wife? For his children? The fact that he's on every newspaper in America? And the people who are not believers, some of them are laughing. See, that's just like Christians. That's just what they're like. They're all hypocrites. We ought to mourn. And I think it's very interesting that you see, here's this thing about who you mourn for. It was interesting. I was working on the message this week. And once again, there came up a thing in the news. It's like, oh, here's this pastor, such and such. He has his big ministry. He's, a, he's very well known in homeschool things. He travels all around the country. And it said, I am resigning because of an in, inappropriate relationship with a woman. And their marriage is shot. They've got eight young children. And like, who's mourning for this guy? And you realize the brokenness of this world and do our lives get touched? I, I, in one sense, I look at Samuel and I say, good for you, Samuel. It's worth mourning when you see brokenness like this and hurt. The Lord said to Samuel, how long are you going to mourn for him? But he did mourn. He's mourning for Saul. So look at this passage, if you would. That's the one I was talking about. The guy, he was the president of the National Association of Evangelicals, and it was a huge price for him, and it had a major impact. Okay, let's come back to our passage real quick. Let me give you a little just update on where we're on in the story. We're working on this big story that's going on. If you remember, we started our story right up here in Shiloh. That's where it all started with Eli and his lousy sons. They were up there. Also, if you come down here, here's Jerusalem, except at this point, there is no Jerusalem. There's a big hill called Jebus, and they call it the Jebusites. And then over here, do you remember this Ashdod? This is, remember, where we had the funny story of basically we said, no, you take the ark. I don't want the ark. So it's the whole thing where the Ashdod, they had it, then Ekron had it, and Gezer, and everybody's like, how do we get rid of this ark? Because it found out it's not a good thing to have the ark of the covenant in your possession. And so we saw that goes there. And then here's where our story, whoops, I just pushed the wrong button. 
right here is Bethlehem. And of course, a famous place. It's about seven miles south of Jerusalem, even though it wasn't called Jerusalem there. By the way, when I was there in June in Bethlehem, it was a very interesting thing. You can imagine there's like, you know, the Bethlehem Hotel and the other Bethlehem Hotel, and it's all over. We were at, uh, fortunately, there was only two big buses. One was ours, was going through uh, Bethlehem. And the guy was telling me, he said, in the peak time, we have often a hundred tourist bus in Bethlehem. And, of course, there's a church in the Nativity there, which a lot of pilgrims come to try to be at. And the lines go just around the block. And for some people, it's four to six hours to get a little glimpse of it as you go on. Now, Jesus would probably roll. I shouldn't say that. Jesus would be shocked. I bet it, yeah. I was going to say he's going to roll over. He doesn't need to roll over. He's alive and well. But, um, but he would be shocked to see what Bethlehem looks like at this point. So let's move on, if you would, to this passage. Saul asked him, how he told him, God told Samuel to go. Go get this new guy that's going to be the king. He goes, how can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me, which is interesting. He's mourning for him, but he realizes Saul's a dangerous man. He's not going to say, oh, well, you don't want me to be king anymore? Well, I think maybe I'll go to Florida, you know, and do shuffleboard. I mean, he's not going to give it up. And so what's happening here is realize, if I go and anoint another person as king, this could be the end of me. And so the Lord answered, well, listen, take a young cow with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and we'll let you know what you're to do. You are to anoint for me the one that I indicate to you. By the way, that word anoint again, not used by the, cult the cultures around them. It's pretty unique to Israel culture. Again, they, they, for people who's a priest, a prophet, or in this case, a king, would be anointed. And ultimately, we talk about the ultimate thing of David. And so what happens in verse 4? Samuel did what the Lord directed and went to Bethlehem. When the elders of the town met him, they trembled and asked, Do you come in peace? In other words, you're not going to cause trouble here, are you? This could get really dangerous when we have one guy who's been king who's being kicked out, and a new guy who's coming out, coming in, this could be big, big trouble. Now notice what it says in verse 5. It says, I came in peace, he replied. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves. Come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and said, Certainly this is the Lord's anointed one is here before him. He's good-looking, he's tall, he's a man's man. And they're going, this is the guy, don't you think? And Saul goes, no, Samuel. says, nope. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't, remember this famous phrase, do not look at his appearance or his statue because I've rejected him. Man does not see what the Lord sees, for man sees what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. That's a famous phrase, passage, and it ought to be. Because you have a lot of people who very quickly you look and go, oh, that person's this, this, and that. You don't know what their heart is like. You don't know what they're really thinking inside. You wouldn't have known that I had that terrible couple seconds where I was thinking how good it was that that guy crashed and fell. But the Lord knows. In one way, it's a terrifying thing to think the Lord knows everything that we do. That nothing is hid from him. And he's saying, remember, what the Lord sees is what's visible. But the, excuse me, we see what's visible, but the Lord sees the heart. There's an old Swedish proverb that goes like this. 
if I can get it up here. It says, lovely flowers fade fast. Lovely flowers. Sometimes we look at a person and go, he is so handsome or she is so beautiful. And you find out, well, see what they're going to be like 30 years later. People change. And sometimes we are attracted to the people who are attractive or we want to hang around with the people who are the cool people or the people who we think that somehow it's going to help our status to be hanging around with them. And it's saying, but you know what? The Lord knows what's in your heart. And he's saying, you need to be careful what you're doing. Now notice verse 8. Jesse called Abinadab and presented him to Samuel. Well, the Lord hasn't chosen this one either, Samuel said. Then Jesse pre uh, presented Shammah. But Samuel said, nope, the Lord hasn't chosen this one either. After Jesse presented seven of his sons to him, Samuel told Jesse, the Lord hasn't chosen any of these. Samuel asked him, are these all the sons you have? Well, you know, they're still the youngest, he answered, but right now he's tending the sheep, which is fascinating. Jet, you know, David is not even worthy to be in the list. It's like, oh, well, it's just David. I mean, he's a shepherd. You know what? This is, you know, shepherd, I mean, he's a kid. Why would you even ask about this question? Well, because the seven guys I got here ain't the one. And so he's saying, okay, he's out tending sheep. He said, all right, they're still the youngest, but he's tending the sheep. Samuel told him, sit, sit, uh, send for him. We won't sit down until he gets here. I don't know how long that was, but that had been quite a while, waiting for him to come out of the fields. And, of course, they bring him up. And as you know, so Jesse sent for him, and he had beautiful eyes and a healthy, handsome appearance. I find that word, those phrase, a little strange. He just talked about, oh, don't worry about what they look like, because God knows the heart. And then it says, oh, man, he's got beautiful eyes. You know, you know, guys don't tell other guys, hey, Larry, you got beautiful eyes. <laughs> On second thought, let's not go there. Okay. Okay. So Jesse sent for him, and he said, listen, he said he had beautiful eyes and a healthy, handsome appearance. No, it wasn't me, was it? No, okay. Then the Lord said, anoint him, for he is the one. And that is where we come to the beginning of a really important thing. So Samuel took the horn of oil. He anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And notice this phrase, the spirit of the Lord took control of David from that day forward. Then Samuel set out and went to Ramah. That's his place where he kind of has lived in the, in the north. Notice that phrase, the spirit of the Lord took control of David from that day forward. There's something unique about that. In the Old Testament, you talk about the Spirit coming for a certain purpose. God puts a Spirit on so-and-so, Beziel, to make the tabernacle. He gives this prophet this to communicate to God's people. But the Spirit comes and the Spirit leaves. The Spirit comes and it leaves. It seems to be saying here that this time when the Spirit comes, it's staying. And if that's the case, that's fascinating because we don't have that until the New Testament. In the book of Acts, when God pours out the Spirit upon us. And so this may be saying already, you know, you've already anointed him, but now I'm going to give him what he needs. He's a young man. Do we know his age? No. He's old enough to be out in the fields, but he's young, to the point that they didn't even call him to come in. So I'm guessing he's maybe a young teenager, and he's going to need everything he can get, including the Holy Spirit, to do what God has for him. And of course, he doesn't even know what's going to happen to him yet. So notice what happens. We're at the turning point in our series. Because up to this point, we've been dealing particularly with things that are dealing with Samuel and with Saul. And that's been important. 
But the reality is we're coming to the place now it's about to change because the turning point is here. It was Samuel and Saul, but now it's going to be all about David. From this point on to the end of the series, the major focus is on David. And what's interesting here, if you think about it, he's a young man, he's been anointed, and you're thinking, what is he thinking at this point? Let's assume maybe he's 15 years old, and they're going to make him king. What would a 15-year-old be thinking about when it comes to saying, guess what, they're going to make me king? And he's going to say, well, what does that mean to be king? Uh, maybe I'm going to, you know, like a nice motorcycle or something. I, you know, I don't know what a kid would be thinking at that age. But the point is, he, as a young man, is going to have momentous uh, power that's going to be very significant. But the important thing to see in this one is that now we're moving into the phase of David, and you wonder, what are his expectations? The reality is on this one, that his reality is he doesn't realize it, but it's going to be suffering. Not for a few days, not for a few weeks, not for a few months, years of suffering. And people say, well, why would God, if that's the anointed one, if he is the one that God is going to bring, him Messiah, through that, why would he make that boy have to go through all these years of struggle? Probably for a lot of good reasons. It would certainly humble him. Remember the point where things were so bad that he went and pretended that he was a crazy person? He was slobbering on the ground. And they said, listen, we've got enough crazy people here already. Tell that guy to leave. That's not one of your great moments in life when you're slobbering on the ground. It may be one of those really low moments of his life where he's saying, you know what, they anointed me a king as a young man, but I don't know if I want this job. I'm being chased by Saul. He's got his men looking for me. I got my, you know, my good men, but a lot of them are like bandits, you know. I mean, this is not an easy life. And so what we're seeing with David now, his expectations are going to be dramatically changed. And he's going to find out that suffering comes with leadership. And faithfulness to God brings suffering. We prayed just a little while ago for those who are believers around the world who are being persecuted. And what they're finding out that where Jesus told us, if you follow me, you will be persecuted. Now as Americans, we don't want to think about that. But it is a reality. And what it's reminding us to and saying there is no way that you can walk the walk that Jesus has for you unless you're willing to experience what he experienced. Jesus said, you know, if they're going to, if they're going to kill me, what about you? And so that's why we have different people, John, James, people who remind us again and again, suffering is what comes with faithfulness to God. And it raises a good question. Will you be ready for it? when that comes. It doesn't have to be, you know, some hit squad that's coming to take you away to prison, though maybe it would be, maybe in the lifetime of our children. I hope not. But there's other kinds of suffering that comes, suffering that we don't always understand. But it's saying, even though you don't understand me, will you trust me? That's where it all comes down to. There will be struggle. Will you follow me? Follow me to the cross. Father, we thank you for this passage. We thank you that we've come to a key point in it where it's moving away now from Samuel to focus now on David. 
We thank you that in your great plan of redemption that you're going to use him to receive a wonderful promise that you're going to give to him years, years down the road that's going to impact not only the Israelites but all the earth to those who come to him in faith. So Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in our lives. We just give you all the praise and glory. Help us now as we continue in our worship and as we come to the table. Amen.